Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contingent Workforce Radio brought to you by Utmost. Utmost is the first extended workforce system built exclusively for Workday users to get visibility into their extended workforce of contractors, statement of work workers, professional services, and any category of worker. And today, we're going to talk about one of the most important facets of extended workforce management, total workforce strategy. I think a common debate in this area is it fall under you know a total spend management is it all about just purely spend is it a talent function we have erica here of course to kind of break it down for us but i think we want to get into how does total workforce strategy possible you know is it something that programs can get started with it what are the benefits or what can we really get started with when it comes to total workforce strategy and really break it down because there's a lot of misnomers out there about what total workforce or total talent can actually mean. So Erica, want to start it off? Is this, is this the right topic? Is this the area that we really want to dive into? Are we uh, going to get into the nuts and bolts? Of- you know, I love it. You know, this is my, my nerdum just come full, full force. I'm like, yes, let's actually get into this stuff. This is good, especially when it comes to redefining what it is. And again, I, I tease our team, like maybe we're just going to change the terminology, but I do think calling out total workforce management, total talent management. What are we talking about when we say total? Because I think right now in the CW industry, it's kind of become total talent management, total talent acquisition, but really what they mean is RPO plus contractor staffing, which is fine, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea of just all human capital. We talk about total talent, total workforce. It's the idea of all people who are working for you. So that means your permanent employees. I mean, whether that's uh, uh, long-term, short-term, fixed-term, interns, and then the non-employees, temporary workers, consultants, SOWs, BPO, freelancers, gig workers, whatever you're talking about, they're people who's doing work for you. It's really understanding how that's actually going on, what you're doing. Do you want to make a change? To it. So we talk a lot about total talent. We start with visibility, but I do just want to kind of anchor everybody in. When we say total talent, we do mean an alignment or invisibility with your employees alongside your non-employees, not separated, not segregated, looking at all together holistically to say, how's your company getting work done? And I guess is the reason why, I guess like kind of to drum back into the why it's often separated is that it's just broken up that there is the traditional employee relationships and like all the employee activities and benefits and you know all the different tax procedures for that just kind of like all right let's handle our employees and there's all these procedures around it and there's just this other stuff like i guess why why isn't it why isn't that just the normal case that there's people working for us and you know there's different categories but you know let's treat them all in one pool to think about what we have and what we can do but it does feel like there's just, you know, bucket A and then everything else. No, and it's a, it's a really good point. I'll say this, though. Typically, it's that for bigger companies. When you think about smaller companies, even like ours, we are looking at it because they make such big impact in our companies. It's only when they kind of get bigger. And so I think about why we're here, where we are today. A couple of things. One is kind of legacy HR mentality. And it's not a bad thing. It really is just it used to be your contingent workforce population was much smaller either by vendor or kind of like temp come from really like much more short term, like someone's out for a day or a leave of absence. It was like someone coming into file or clerk. Like it wasn't these big, important roles that it is today. And so when HR was really set up, it really was like, especially when you think about how the government gets involved, it was very much of you're employed. Here are your benefits. Here's what's allowed. Here's what's important. And so that's 
typically what most companies have followed as they've gotten bigger. Now, over the last 10 years, again, I think again, I, when I get excited about the gig economy, even though I think there's some misnomers on what, what that actually is and incorporates, what it's done is brought a lot of view or, or perspective to the idea of most big companies now have a, at least 40% of their overall workforce being this contingent and how are they define it. And that's a massive amount. It wasn't that before. And so when I think about why it is where it is, it really just comes down to like, more old school HR establishments and procurement was taking care of the vendors or the something else. And it hadn't hit this tipping point where we really are now. You think about the Googles and the Amazons, but even when I think about our little utmost, right, we're about 20% contingent to uh, to 80% employer. So it's a, it's a bigger number than you would expect. And so when we think about the way of world and of work has changed and shifted, there's a podcast, let me pause on that. There's a podcast that I really am excited about. It's basically is, what if we rethought HR completely? If we created HR today, what would it have? And I truly believe, and this is why it's exciting about working with some massive enterprises who are trying to shift their thinking, but also smaller companies where it's they are thinking this from the start. How do we get all the data? How do we understand the talent channels? What you know? How and why are we bringing people on? So I think there's going to be a swing in HR practice where this is going to come become a bigger thing and a normal practice. Just the bigger enterprises have to kind of turn back. But the short answer is, it didn't used to be this big and really seen a ton of shift of remote work, distributive work, how millennials want to want to move around and do different things. They don't want this 30 year career. So there's been a massive shift, even if you think it's about 20 years on how work is getting done and how it's how it's accomplished. And so I strongly think in the next again, we're already in it right now. But the next five years, we're going to see dramatic changes in how HR and procurement work together and who owns. And you're kind of hinting at it that there's just this change in the nature of how work is done. But I do want to get into like the nitty gritty of, of why does it matter? Because oftentimes, I think people will say, oh, just another industry buzzword. There's just a, a marketing term to promote solutions, software, services, what have you. But I think there are tangible impacts and benefits that total workforce strategy has. So could you talk to us about why it matters? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And they're not wrong. It has become a buzzword and I hate it. But the concept is is hugely there. And I, I start again with visibility. Like, why does it matter? Total workforce visibility matters because it begets everything. When you actually see what's going on, you're able to see what you're not doing, what you should be doing, and ask some questions. And so simple things of, let's use diversity and inclusion. That's become a huge thing in the past couple of years, as it should be. When we think about people's goals, right? This is, I think, is an important thing, is total workforce management shouldn't be its own separate pri priority or project. It should be part of the ones you already have going on. So I'm going to make this up. Let's say someone's Diversity inclusion goals are to increase by 20% the number of diverse candidates that are coming into the company. If you're not doing that with your contractors or your freelancers or your SOWs or whatnot, is it really 20%? If you have 40% of your overall workforce are non-employees and you're only actually going after 20% of your six of the 60% of employees, are you actually hitting your goal? And the answer is no, the math's not there. It should be inclusive of when it comes down to talent. There are things that there are things that is really important to be aware of when you're doing talent strategy. How are you bringing people in? What's the most important? So I talk about, you know, when you're actually making talent decisions based on total workforce data, it's complete data versus just one half of the puzzle. You're also able to understand why or what's actually happening today and do you want to make a change? So a lot of contingent used to be based on, I couldn't get employee headcount and so therefore. 
So there was a ton of contractors and SOW work that was just basically finance that said, don't hire any employees, but the balloon at the other end still opened up. So you're still getting work done. Was that the right way to bring it on? They don't really know. So now you're able to kind of see what we have and what can we what can we actually optimize with our managers to change? Do we want to hire more independent contractors or less? Do we want to do more statements of work or less? Do we want to hire more empl- employees? And then what's the best? I've used the example before about talent channel strategy, which is like a fancy way of saying, is this the right way to bring the talent on? Workers now have a lot of choice and some want to be freelancers and some want to be contractors. Some want to be small businesses. Some want to be employees. So an example I use quite often is at LinkedIn, when I first started, Python development was really, really a big skill that we wanted. We had a hard time hiring it as an employee. And the question was, the answer is really simple. The people with these skills wanted to work at really cool companies for projects and then move on. They didn't want that full time. They didn't want to commit to a company. They wanted to do it short term. And so when we started to open the positions up for contractors. We were getting applicants. We were moving. And then what we found out is roughly ended up being 50-50 conversion to employee. After they got to know who we are as a company and, and they were able to work on other things, they converted. And others said, nope, I still want to move around. But we were able to find that skill faster and have a better experience because we use a different talent channel. You know, I think about where we are right now, you know, most people think of freelancers and contractors where they, where they've seen it blown up is in, in creative and design, right? But engineering is blowing up incredibly with different crowdsourcing and small and different entities that are able to work together, different projects. And so I expect to see very highly skilled engineering projects move to this type of work as well. And so being able to say, I actually want the right talent, not only the one who's able to work for me as an employee becomes really important to have in your repertoire of operations and strategy and that you're able to arm with your manager. The other points I hit really quick is compliance, right? There's a bunch of compliance that companies have to follow. Some are for employees, but others are across across the board, right? And so when you're actually running these programs and systems and audits, if you're not including the non-employee vendors into it, you're missing a big thing. And governments and audit agencies are getting smarter and smarter about asking, what are you doing for this in contractors or for your statement of work workers or whatnot? And so legalities of what it means to work in a specific, specific country under an entity, doing what, for which classification across the board start to really matter. Another one is experience. So you hear this a lot in HR where, you know, it used to be manager experience, people experience, but it's really turning around worker experience. You want to be a client of choice or a place where people feel valued. They feel like there's loyalty to them. They feel like they're going to be time, they're going to be productive faster. Most people want to get their laptops and get to work. So understanding what the workers want to feel when they're coming into your job, knowing who to expect, where to show up, are they going to get trained? How are they on board? Are they sit in a room by themselves. That matters when people are taking different positions, again, employee or not. And then I go operational, right? How, how well are things moving? Like HR, when I think about HR and procurement, a lot of it has to do with operations and soft savings. Procurement has more hard savings goals. HR has soft savings goals. And that's where operational efficiency comes in. Are we doing this the best, quickest, with the best experience that we possibly can? It matters in total workforce. So we'll hit this in a second about simple, something as simple as your onboarding process, how to get someone a laptop. Why is that different for an employee and non-employee? Why wouldn't you leverage the process you have in place and the people who are helping facilitate that to make that fast for everyone? Does it matter to get a laptop on that first day of work so they can start billing as soon as possible? So there's efficiencies that make sense when you look across the board, not by classification, that you're going to find internally with resourcing, with your operations, time to value, 
and the experience you have with your people because your people are your consumers and your people are your best. Those are great reasons that you kind of uh, walk through, especially like the example that you gave of the the talent channels, like the Python developer, because sometimes, you know, just thinking about it from like the, the business point of view, we often talk about it from like the, the HR procurement point of view, why it matters. But, you know, the, this is a point where it actually the business cares and it's a, a reason you can appeal to the business about it they as you say you know they just need, they need to get their work done how they get that talent it's it's up to the, the organizations like the hr team or the procurement team to get them that talent so it gives you that much more flexibility and you know at the end of the day getting the business what they need to kind of produce revenue is vital exactly like the business uh, just wants people fast and good they don't care about the legal. Like they say, get it. You work everything out for me fast and good. Let's get some stuff done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so now I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced. You have me convinced. I think it all sounds nice. And I think there's definitely some benefits, both for the internal operations teams, HR and procurement teams, IT teams. But if it was great and easy, people would have already done it already, of course. So what do you see as some of the obstacles to adoption? I'm sure there are people who out there who are you know listening who are saying like, yeah, we get it. We get it. This is great. But there's just always so many problems that make it impossible to achieve. It's just not realistic. There's just so many uh, internal hurdles. You know, let's, let's kind of talk through them. Like, let's not uh, just like skim over it. Like, let's acknowledge that there's definitely some obstacles. Oh, 100%. 100%. So let's hit one of the ones we've already already talked about, right? One is people saying this is a separate something versus being part of it. So my mentor, and if you guys don't know who Kevin Delaney is, I strongly recommend you look him up LinkedIn. He's just a phenomenal human being, but was the VP of learning development at, at LinkedIn, but also ran their product organization for a while. And his big thing was, if you are an HR talent leader and you are not thinking about your full non-employee or your full workforce in collaboration with your goals, you're missing it. What are you doing? You're missing half of the data. And he was right. And again, I go back to, we're not our own separate goal. We're part of the goals you already have in place. Extend the goals you have in place for diversity and inclusion to say, of course, and this, ha- this is how it means for my contractor freelancers, my statement of work and all that good stuff. If you're looking at technologies, it should be inclusive of how does this integrate? Does it work with your, with your non-employees as well? So his big point was there's not going to be, it's not going to work for every single thing that you have on an HR plate, but at the highest level, again, and it goes down to talent and operations and compliance, non-employee work falls into all three of those. And so part of it, again, I go back to the idea of before people were saying, this is what's needed. It was adding to the list right? Or maybe becoming uh, priority number eight, opposed to saying we have five goals and here's how total workforce lays aligns in with, let's say, three of those goals. Here's how it's going to affect in here. Because then you're able to help the operational team go after those goals, right? So that's one. Second one is what I think most people think about today, right? I've heard a lot of people say total workforce can't happen because you have to reorg your entire company because HR and procurement are separate. Now, I'm a big disbeliever in the fact you do not have to reorg. That'd be something like you're not going to be able to influence that much stuff. But it, it comes down to you have potentially two different owners. And again, in, in typical contingent workforce, you, you've seen the research that it's roughly around 40% who own H, uh, from the HR owners and roughly 40%. And then 10% is IT, legal, or a new compliance group or whatnot. But roughly it's HR and procurement. We're starting to see those numbers really shift to HR. I think we had, uh, we had Stephen from Shell come in and talk about their big 
movement and saying, hey, they decide it's no longer procurement. Let's sit under, let's send her at HR and how excited people were on that. So you're starting to see some of the bigger companies move it. And again, I go back to some of our work with smaller companies where it is directly in HR and sometimes specifically around TA. I think there's, there's, more ease of total workforce management when HR owns everything. Now, procurement's going to still always play a part of it because they do do contractual management, but they full ownership. But to me, there's a lot of things that you can still do, even if it's cross-functional across both HR and procurement. A lot of that comes down to the data and the goals and kind of just working together on that. So I think that's one of the other things that was an obstacle before it was so much procurement would say, HR doesn't want to talk to us. And HR would say, procurement doesn't want to talk to us. I think that's now starting to blend as visibility becomes much more important. Again, COVID did a really, COVID was terrible. There's a silver lining. And what people say is like, never waste a good crisis. What it did do is to say, who is my workforce? Who's essential? Who's core? What are they doing? Should I bring it back? And how in which way? And it really illuminated. A lot of people can't answer that question. One, easily. Two at all, or three of that, tons of manual work. And why is that not? And a lot of CEOs are turning to their there, the CHRO or the chief people officer and saying, you're my people officer. Why don't you know whose people are? Don't treat them as vendors. That's that's changing it. So again, I see that obstacle time turn away. Another one is technology limitations. Again, when you think about the early 2000s, really up until about us, but like 15 years ago, it very much was everything is automated. VCs are paying a bunch of people, go build tools. And it was all very niche tools. This is for employees. This is for contractors. This is for FMS. This is for SOW. This is for your POs. This is for, right? So it started to become, everyone started to buy their own tools and build for themselves. And so when you start to look outside of saying, how do you bring, how do you bring this data together? It's procurement data. It's procurement language. It's HR data. It's language that managers don't understand, but they're not mapped together. So a lot of it was each team couldn't see the other person's data or even understand what was going on. And they weren't really working together well enough to have those conversations. Now, I get excited because my former role as a contingent workforce practitioner, we always consider ourselves the nucleus. We brought HR, procurement, finance, legal, IT, facilities, security, badging, whatever it was all together to have those conversations. And that's where I see a lot of great CW program owners being that facilitator and helping to advocate how these guys work together and put the data together. Now, again, plug for utmost, we make that super easy. But there's ways that you're able to do this where you, because relationships matter, that's for you, Saad, where you're able to bring people together to start having those conversations and do the data mapping. The last one, and I'll breathe and let you ask me a question is, let's hit co-employment. Because I think people are are very much like, you can't do this. And I'm going to hit this hard by saying, I'm not an attorney. You got to talk to your attorneys. But is a lot of the contingent workforce industry was built on a lot of co-employment fear. When I think about services and systems that were sold based on that Microsoft case and kind of peddling, here's the why. Now, it's been 25 years or so. Most of us know it was about a benefits clause, not tenure policy or whatnot. But a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that's been sold is keep them separate, right? You can't, you shouldn't, you wouldn't because it sold stuff. Now, let me take a pause there and say AB5 is important. IR35 is important. There are some co-employment things you need to be aware of, but say it out loud. Is understanding what my workforce is doing against the law, does that cause a misclassification audit? Can I not defend that I want to know how I'm getting work done? No. They're very different things. And you go to SIA's um, CCWP class. They hit this hard. And I love Stephen Clancy for this, where it's like, tenure is not against the law in some countries. Let's use the US here on this or whatnot. Look at the Darden law. But like, let's be really clear about what's going on. So I want to hit on this because a lot of the don't mingle non-employee and employee 
came from fear mongering in the industry to sell other services or whatnot. And so I think, again, we're seeing the light as more people are putting their contingents into workday, more people are mixing them together, where how is visibility of what's getting done against the law? It's not. So it seems like there's a mix of like philosophical changes and in, in how we like HR and procurement collaborate and the role of HR, as well as technology has adapted to like this, or well, there's been technological limitations before, but now technology has adapted to accommodate the differences that previously existed. And then, yeah, just like, as you were mentioning this, this concept of co-employment being a fear, but it just, there's some myths out there that the reason that there's these obstacles is that, you know, there's, there's some now new research, new abilities, new things that have happened in the, in the industry that perhaps make this less of an obstacle than it was before. So given that, you know, there are less obstacles, it still probably isn't an easy undertaking per se, but where can someone start if they at least want to like wade their feet into this process. No, I, I love that because I think influence and ability is a key thing. <laughs> I see kind of two two groups right that come from this. One is I think about this as Katniss um, from Hunger Games, where I volunteer as tribute, whether you should or not, but you're like, I'm gonna do it. I'll be the rallying guy. And then other group who says, I really wish they would do that. They should take this on. I wish. Why aren't they paying attention when it comes to like? trying to talk about total workforce and how to align it all together. And so I love that you talked about, or you just even asked, how does it start with them? Because it does and it can. So there's a couple simple activities I think that are important to bring up about what an individual can do, no matter who they are or what they are is really important. But before I get into that, I do think when I think about who's carrying the torch, because you're right, it is something that needs advocacy, influencing, prioritization, people to rally around it is to have a good, healthy look on like, is this you, right? And be saying, who am I in this organization? What is my reputation, right? How have I helped build projects before? Have I only only been on project? Do I have the internal pool? Do I have the relationships within the organization cross-functionally to get this over the, the finish line? One of the things that execs will almost always ask you when you're pitching something that you should be working on is, hey, have you talked to so-and-so or what do they think about this? They want to know what you've already done and, and, and spoken with. And so do you have the relationship to even start those conversations? Do you know how to sell it? Do you know how to rally a team? Do you know how to put together a PowerPoint and pitch something? Like something that's really pithy. And I, and I laugh because I always go like, PowerPoint should never stop anyone. We have freaking 3,000 in the world freelance management systems and talent marketplaces. Get a freaking freelancer to take your ideas and make it beautiful. It's the last thing that you do, right? But don't never have a bad PowerPoint. You can pay someone about $125 to get it beautified if you have your if you have your points down right. But the reason I ask this is because there's some people who say I volunteer as tribute and it's not them, right? And it's not because they're not amazing and fantastic what they do, but in your organization, it's somebody else. And that's okay. You're all on the same team. The goal of this, and usually where I see things fall down is it's ego. It's mine or it's nothing. It's theirs and I can't do anything about it. Look around again. If you have the spurn, this is the right thing we should do. And this has been nice about some of our customers. I've never met anyone to be like, nope, I don't agree with that at all. I love having, I love having the uh, black holes. Like, no, everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. How do I do this? For all you listeners there, you may hear Hank the three-year-old screaming at me right now. So pause for commercial break. But everyone, it all, it all makes sense right now. But it comes down to who's the right person to put this in their hands to get it done for you. And so, again, the good news is there's ways that it can become you. But I do want to always call out, it is internal selling. It is about 
how do you actually get the right eyes on it? Is it a director level or VP? Is it cross-functional? Can you decide? I don't know your organization, right? You know your team the best, but having self-awareness of how far you can take something is really important. Let me pause there before I get to a couple things I can do. Does that, I mean, what do you think about that? Is that saying kind of crazy? I'm talking to CW practitioners. Shouldn't it be them? Or does that feel like it? Yeah, I think you hit on a, a few different layers there that makes sense that you you need to be kind of situated right within the organization. And I think that means a few different things. Like, I can't imagine like if this is that you come into your organization on day one and be like, aha, time to implement total workforce strategy without having kind of like a one over and built relationships with other people on the team or done kind of like built that capitalist to show that you've like, oh, they've done this project well, they've done this project well, they seem to have like a good uh, track record. So now let's let them run with this more, uh, you know, larger project. But then, yeah, I think you made the good point about that ego thing. It was kind of reminds me about a little bit like politics that sometimes like there's like a, a little, there's like the, the person behind the politician. The politician in some way is the, is the, the figurehead for Mm -hmm. a movement or something like that. And they have the charisma, they have some of the skills that you may not have as like the more, I don't know, policy person, but it's that person that needs to be armed to carry the movement. And they're kind of the person that sits in the right, right position for that. So, you know, yeah, let go of your ego and, and let that person kind of take the take that figurehead role or just give them the the ammo that they need to succeed in their position so that you can kind of ride the coattails and i mean ultimately you want to move the business in in the right area if you believe in that total workforce management anyway it doesn't need to be you it it needs to be the organization and as you said carrying diminishing your ego for exactly again it's it's, you're on the same team i think sometimes and it's primal and tribal of all of us as human beings, right? We're like, this was mine, or we're HR, or I'm do this. We kind of forget. Same team. If you're if you're a public company, same stock, right? What's better for you is better for them as well. And so you're exactly right. It comes down to who can get that right meeting, like arm them. And my God, the person who's behind that politician or whatnot goes far too. So like, you don't have to be number one. Be number two. Sometimes be number five. Right. There's be thoughtful of how work gets done at your company and play into it. You're not going to have some political major change from total workforce manager, or maybe you will. But again, it comes down to like, just be aware. And here's the good news, but you can start to make changes. So let's say today you're like, oh, you know what? I actually don't really talk as cross-functionally as I should, or like, I'm not really the best at X. Get started now. There's nothing stopping to say how do I actually start having those conversations with procurement and finance and starting to share and deep, right? There's the moment you haven't created a project. There's no timeline for it. It's 30 minute sessions that you're having with them, kind of identifying and setting the stage. With the no ego thing, it's about how to make them look good. What's fantastic about total workforce management is because most of the stakeholders that contingent workforce teammates have, HR does and procurement does too because they're dealing with the same things, right? Communications and compliance and operations and all this stuff. And so the goal is to make everybody look good and to make it make sense to them. Again, there's a lot of common sense in total workforce management. Having people say like, oh yeah, we are doing this completely separate with same amount of headcount at different varying levels in different countries. Maybe we should look at it. There's a lot of things that all you need someone to say is, oh, that does make sense. We should look at that a little bit. And then how this takes work off there. That was probably one of my biggest things about being successful when, when I was LinkedIn was the very first year joining. They had not really had like a big contingent workforce team. 
So I walked the halls, met people, and shared how my joining the company and building this program was going to make their lives easier. And not one person was like, that sounds terrible. I want more work and I want it to be more complicated. Don't you dare take that away from me. All of them like, fantastic. We love that crazy blonde girl. Tell me more about how you're taking work off my plate. And so when you share how it's going to make their lives better, and if they're going to be looking good from joining a, pro- a project that is forward thinking and modern, there's some goodness in there. Now you got to use you got to use their language, right? So selling this to HR is from selling this to info security versus finance versus legal or whatnot. So like, be really thoughtful, right? Saving people uh, saving people time, money, headaches, not breaking the law, and creating some wins. There's some good trigger words right, that we can talk about. Like different teams care more about. But recognizing like kind of where we in the talent world, we say like, don't submit one resume to all jobs. Very same thing. It applies to all sales pitches, right? Shouldn't be the standard pitch deck to every single person. Same thing in this. Like, why does it matter for finance on this? Why does it matter for this? And then again, I go back to practice. This is the hardest part when you are building and rallying thing. When you are, let's say you've put together that PowerPoint. Let's say you did outsource and give it to a freelancer and it's beautiful and there's animation and there's some things. Being aware of how you articulate is really important. You typically understand who is a better speaker and who's a leader by how they're actually able, able to present ideas, present ideas verbally as well as written, right? Short, concise, clear. And so the ability to start talking about why this matters in your language. Now I have 75,000 different things you can do total workforce management. They won't all apply to each of your company. And so having 19,000, you know, like bullet points on a slide, the more isn't that better. The ones that are applicable are better. So understanding like why this matters to your company and starting small is really important. But it's always going to be, again, I go back to is like, who have you talked with this? Total workforce management only makes sense collaboratively. It's not just an HR thing. There's a lot of HR uh, value in it, but it's not just an HR thing. So being prepared for the presentation and making sure you've done your homework by talking to your cross-functional partners, addressing any of the concerns they have and showing whoever you're talking with that you have worked across there is a phenomenal way to say like, I could be this person, right? Or start to arm someone else. Got it. As you start to kind of build those blocks, I mean, is the right way to think about it is to kind of focus and narrow in? Because I guess there's different value propositions for different teams. Is it something that you think about? It's, you know, reach out to everyone and kind of get everyone on board? Or is it possible or, or is it better to just, you know, start with the one group and maybe it's like one part of the business unit? Kind of like thinking like, is there like a spearhead approach or not beach, beachhead? Is that very <laughs> unfamiliar with these words? Like a beachhead approach, like start with the one group. And then once you win the, that group over, move to the next one or to, for it to work, do you really need like all these different groups and departments on board and then kind of building, I don't know, like a pyramid fashion that everyone's kind of building together and on top of each other, or can it start from like a, a beachhead? I'll say this because it's both HR and procurement. Right. You need both. But no, I would say, I mean, you need the best, pro- pro- the best projects like this. You want at least two executive sponsors. And, and th- let's be honest, there's different ways we can call this out. At the moment, I'm thinking large enterprise. But again, medium and small enterprises, it's actually easier, right? Because you have a bunch of people who are saying this is common sense. So let me, let me hit the enterprise one first, because that's usually the most political and why you have to rally in this way. To me, you having two pro, uh, two executive sponsors is really help is really helpful. You get three, all the more better, right? But then you got to have value propositions for them. But you want to keep it at that level because then you have them talking to one another. That's the goal. Like have everyone start talking to each other more. But no, I don't think you should just have 
I don't think you can do this and say HR is taking this on without having done that conversation with the other cross-functional partners, right? Because it affects them. So you may be able to start, whether it's HR or procurement within your own team and say we want to, but to get it across the finish line, because it does matter, I do think you need to have be speaking with more people. Now, again, I'll go back into when you when you define where you want to start with total workforce management, you know, one to three, three to five things. It could be all aligned to yours. But again, I go back to everyone. So many people touch all types of people or so. You got you to branch out almost immediately to make sure it keeps going. Because at the end of the day, you don't want it just to hit those three things and that's it. There's so many other efficiencies across the way. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I think initially starting broader right, is important versus just going deep within one group because you need to have those other people kind of coming along for the ride to inform you of what you're looking for or some of the assumptions that you're making to really get this to be well well thought out. So I say use your partnerships. Got it. All right. So we talked about kind of getting the team in different groups together. What's next or where, where else to, what else should we take into consideration? Just probably two things. One, if it's not you, that's okay. We hit on that. But like the way, here's a ways to motivate others. And this is going to be terrible, but these are some trigger words. We're not safe, right? Safety is a huge one. If they're, if we're saying there's things going on that we're not safe about. Now, I don't mean just wet floors or so, but let's say 2018 was a year of like US national disasters. And a lot of companies struggled, whether things were on fire or tornado or an earthquake or heaven forbid, a shooter of how to communicate with people who are in their business. All email, all employees have emails. Most contractors do. And most all of their non-employees don't have email. So the badge only workers, how do you actually inform them, right? So to me, notifications, communications is a great total workforce, like kind of trigger, but like, we're not safe, right? This is kind of crazy. So again, <laughs> be careful with that one, but I'm, I'm using it hyperbolically for, for a point. Compliance. We may be breaking the law in these countries, right? The idea of we there's several different types of compliance, right? But regulatory one is really important across the world, right? Then you have operational guidelines and different things like that. But like that's a way to trigger people and say, ah, like did you know? You know, we're doing all these things for employees. We have no idea if anyone. Let's go down a notch. <laughs> let's not be breaking the law. We don't know if all of our non-employees are signing information security waivers when they get our computer. So they could be watching porn or downloading, doing extra things we have nothing to do about. They could keep their computer and we can't get anything back, right? So again, sim- simple ones on that, but like we may not, you know, who's signing these documents? We have no idea. Spend is a great one for procurement. We're wasting money. You know, all procurement folks want to get good savings going on. But the idea of, hey, why are we, I'll use Python developers, since I've done all day today, is why are we spending so much money on X project for Python developers when we just hired 20 of them, we have a team of 100. Are we double dipping? Are we doing the same work? Does that make sense? Efficiencies is one that doesn't ever, doesn't always trigger people, right? It's not like a, I have to do it now. But when you think about most of corporate roles or about operational efficiencies, let the rest of the business move fast. Again, when I think about anything in an HR goal, there's always about efficiencies. How do we do this better, faster, more productively or whatnot? So it aligns into that. But the idea of like how work is getting done and how you actually enable the business becomes really important. And then talent strategy. And you've seen this a lot more. You know, in the last five years, there's been the great, the great, the great right now because of COVID and the great reshuffle. 
right? Or the great resignation. Now that people can work remotely, they're deciding, do I want to work with this company? Do I want to move? But the idea of how do we attract and retain talent, employee or non-employee, has been something that's gotten people motivated because, yay, COVID's not over, but COVID's through. We can hire people back. They don't want to come back, or at least not to this office, or at least not in this way. So there's a couple ways that you're able to go. Safety, compliance, spend, efficiencies, talent strategy. You know your company better, but those are different ways to trigger why it's more immediate versus like, let's wait on this. And then I'm going to pause on that and then hit the next thing. This is where I see my CW brethren. Sometimes this frustrates me. Some in our teams feel like they have to ask for permission to do things versus like you are an able-bodied person within your own company. There's things that you're able to do in this world that you're able to take on. Typically, CWPMs are, are managers and then above, right? There's there's things that you're able to do because you have this title that you should feel free to do and not have to wait for someone to assign it to you or ask for permission for it. And to me, total workforce management, if you have this lens and you have the idea, there's several different activities that you can get started on without this big, broader movement. Because I think people get nervous about, oh my gosh, this seems so big and I need, you know, they use consulting words. I got to have a governance model, an executive sponsor, and I have to have all these things. I can never just do it versus like, get started. Here are some of the things that you can actually do, right? We talked about relationship building. We're talking about data in a second, but it's not something that you're going to be waiting for it to be handed on. You could be the only person in your company thinking about this now. You could be one of a hundred. You could be one of a thousand. You don't really know. Start doing the work. Start talking to people and you're going to start to see some momentum, but don't think this is a three-year project that you have to wait forever and, and get blessings from God on it. No, start showing the value. Just want to jump back to the kind of trigger word things. I think there's... I guess another element of it is so these are like trigger words for specific departments or roles. I think there's like another element, as you were saying, like pitching it to the right audience. I think executives themselves will have often like specific trigger words that are unique to them. Thinking to, you know, I think as many happen to many of us in organizations, like an executive reads like an HBR article about such and such trend and, you know, tying whatever it is you're doing into that trend. I mean, it shouldn't be a force. Uh, forced association. But I mean, if there is a genuine association, I think it's an easy way to kind of bring it to the executive attention. If it's in that pitch deck, you know, talking about how this has implications for that big trend that the executive cares a lot about, which may be sometimes a little bit removed from like the director level, who is more perhaps focused on efficiency or other types of more day-to-day metrics. The executive often has like some hot button thing that they're immediately focused on. So there is some unique safety words, or trigger words that will, will excite executives as well. So I just wanted to add that on. Uh, no, that's so spot on because you're right. When you think about uh, when Google's letter came out, a lot about was about treatment. And a lot of people were like, how are we treating people? And so you're exactly right. Like we became like how we treat people is how we treat consumers. There's a lot of things that got that executive level viewership and you're exactly right like we talk about it almost a lot about it's the worker experience the worker centricity like how are you bringing in the worker as an individual not a rate card not a not a whatever but to your point that really is landed with with a lot of CROs and executives and the idea of we want people to feel welcomed in and not excluded you see this a lot in diversity inclusion and belonging initiatives where it's you know you're welcome in so how do you do that sometimes and not just language of force a lot of it's operations Right. A lot of it's how you motivate people to act. And so when you think about diversity, inclusion, and belonging, right, you think about these things, it's how you include people across the board, right? And the idea of like, how do you, again, time to value and productivity is very, you know, uh, corporate language, but it becomes down to like, how do you make people feel good that they accepted the offer? 
whether it's a contract offer, employee offer, most guys, if you are not aware, most statement of work, statement of works are fielded by 1099s as well as employees. You're missing out on contingent workforce. Most consultings do not have this large bench. They have a bench that they're able to, that within their partners, and then they're subbing out to either contracting firms or independents themselves. And so these guys get to make a choice as well. Do I want to work with Accenture or Deloitte who's working with LinkedIn or Google or whatnot? How was my experience last time? So anyway, to the point is, Worker experience and how they treat it matters across the board. And that does get people's attention, especially if you're a consumer brand. How Coca-Cola welcomes people in affects who buys Coca-Cola. And you're, so to your point, like the executives do matter certain certain trigger work. All right. So we've sold the team. Yeah, we got we covered like motivating, getting the different groups together. What's the what's next on the the, the plan of, of getting it going within your organization? Let's say let's say just simple activities get started again. Like I'm a big believer of visibility rules the day, right? I believe that you can do a lot of stuff initially with data. I think these are things that you're able to do as an individual contributor, whether you're a coordinator, whether it doesn't matter what it is, but the idea to understand of what data do I have today? Where is it? And I say where is it because we have a lot of disparate systems. We talk about that a lot. There's there's data in, in Workday or HCM. It's in your ERP. It's in a VMS. It's in a something this. It's in this. It's in it's in Jira. It's in ServiceNow. It's in Active Directory or whatnot. Like, so what do you actually have? So when we think about total workforce management, let's assume your HRM or your HCM has mostly employee stuff. So we're going to assume, again, so let's go with mid, medium enterprise companies and above, right? That you have most of the employee data that you need. So let's assume the gaps are on the non-employee side. What do you have under your control? What are you collecting? Why? Why matters a lot. Some people collect just to collect. And now with, you know, with data privacy stuff going, things you're not allowed to do that anymore. But what data do you have in which systems for which classification type? Who owns it? Then what do you want to know? And what are the gaps? Right. I think defining what you're trying to solve for really so this is where you can go, whoa, this can get really big. And I'm about to give you about 20 different examples of where you can go from this. So like really getting small because solving for all is not too much. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. Be really crisp. But like, what do you want to know? There are examples that you can use. Like, where are my people? What are they doing? Are we breaking any laws? How do we find them? How long did it take to find them? How long did it take to onboard them? How long till they're productive? How much are we paying them? Are they doing a good job? And my, one of my favorites is, should we keep doing the same thing? Because that to me, there's a lot of things we can answer with data. But what you want to know is because so much of like across the board of why we're hiring, it's because we're moving super fast and one door closed, so we did it this way. Is that actually what we want to do? Or are there ways that we prescribe to do it differently? Use the data to tell you that. And so when you, when you come up and say, what are you trying to solve for? Like, are we breaking any laws is a fantastic one. Now it's still broad because which laws or which countries or whatnot, but you get to, you get to get more crisp, like what you're trying to solve for. And then what data points are missing to answer these questions. So that work right there is something you can do in about now, depending on how big you are and what you have going on, three days, two weeks, but it's very, it's very manageable, at least to get a start and know that it is perfect from the get go. Right. Because as you start to put this shell together and you start to share people that say, oh, did you think about this? I have this in this system. No, I didn't. Let's talk about it. let's add it to it. And so why I like starting small and why I like starting with the data is the insights by data points that you can start to kind of collect and go through. Right. So I love saying who, what, where, when, how, how long, how well, how come, how productive. Right. Easy for me to say. I know I've had practice. But the reason I talk about that is because data is not insights. Data can create insights. Point of time data can sometimes, but not always. And so what you want to be able to see is what can you glean from the information that you have today? 
And then if you don't have it, why are you trying to glean it? Always, when you ask for data, you should have a reason why you are, right? So let's hit who first, because that's a very easy one. Because some people don't aren't able to see, they're able to see their employees and can't see your non-employees. So that makes a lot of sense. Like, who are these people? Who are the suppliers, right? Do I have five? Do I have 1,500? Who owns them? Who's hiring these people, right? When you think, when I, I'm going to use Workday as the as HCM, but they have something called a supervisory manager, supervisory org. These are people managers. We all know in the contingent world, ton of non-people managers own contingents. They're not tracked. So who owns the hiring of these suppliers, these projects, these individuals? You know, does a non-people manager have actually one of the largest orgs because they have the most projects, but we're not tracking that way? So understanding who's hiring and who's responsible for workers. Like very simple to say, oh, I had no idea. Like I thought engineering had the highest headcount. No, turns out it's sales ops or turns out it's IT because we outsource a lot. It's like putting together things that you just didn't even know. Then comes what? That's a very simple, simple one. Like what are they doing? What's their job profile? What's their job title? What was their project? Are we aligned on that? You hear a lot in consulting worlds, build, buy, borrow, or bot. The four Bs, right? Are we, are we hiring them? Are we, are we uh, contracting with them? Are we building them up through career and development? Or are we doing something through RPA and creating a bot for this type of work? But the idea around is, do we know what we're actually working on? And who is? And are we doing multiple things? And what are these suppliers doing? And do I have all five of the big consulting companies doing the same project, but we don't know what we're talking about? Or is Singapore doing something that headquarters is? I had no idea. So just starting to figure out what are we actually working on based on whether it's project, whether it's job title, job profiles. And like, let me just see the big picture. Do I have 95,000 people who are who are consultants? And what does that actually mean? Then we move to where. And where's one of my favorites for compliance? Because there's so many things that just based on where someone is or servicing, there's laws about. And that's important for people to know. So one of my favorites, and I reference this a lot, is business entity compliance, right? The idea of different companies will have entities for different countries. Usually when you're starting out small in a country, you kind of do like a sales and marketing entity where you can only have kind of non-core people there trying to help kind of build up a market for you. But you can't have like engineers or content or people really deciding the, 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 the product, right? Influencing the product. Well, if you have contractors who are, for, I'll say for simplicity, like engineers in a company like Brazil, but you only have a sales and marketing entity in Brazil, you're in some serious trouble. There's a lot of taxes and royalties that can place on that product because you built it in their country without actually having the right paperwork. So just even seeing, again, like you had who, you had supplier versus employer, you were at job profile, and then where you're able to see something compliantly that you need to know if you go fix. Location strategy is another one, right? Where is this talent? So now that I see the talent, and that's again, job profile or title, it's not, we're not going to get into skills yet, but we can at some point, right? But where is that distributed across the United States or around the globe? And do my non-employee vendors and people actually have a, a spot that I should be looking at for my own employees that I didn't really know? Python development now is big in the Czech Republic. I had no idea. It's a cheaper place. It's in the same European time zone. They have great language skills. Should I be hiring there? So there's some great location strategy of where you should be looking for your talent as well as potentially setting up businesses to get there. Rate compliance is one contingent workforce professionals always know. SIA did a great job kind of educating us on this. And the idea is if, it's, if you have a contractor that is similar to an employee, they should be paid similarly, right? So define how that is. But you need there's some work that you need to do to say, are these people getting paid appropriately and not underpaid or whatnot? Equipment requirements, productivity expectations. This is one I think most people who have an Indian office knows. The Indian office headquarters will have better Wi-Fi than someone at home. So through COVID, when people were working at home, 
productivity probably isn't going to be expected to be the same because Wi-Fi probably drops more often than it does when you're in the office. These are important things to know when you're setting up goals and working with people. And then safety expectations and notifications. So where are you? So where were you when the fire was in the San Francisco office? Did you get a notification? Did we know that you were there? Right? I think that's really important. And then some, when you think about uh, manufacturing companies have where a vendor could be responsible for safety or the employer. Being really clear of who and what location is responsible for safety coordination and training becomes really important. Let me hit how, and then let me see if you have any questions on that. How is the easiest one? That's when I think about talent channel. Is it faster and better to hire an employee through our employee process, an intern, a contractor, freelancers, potentially through, through an Upwork, uh, consulting arrangements, something that's a, a big, you already have the contract in place or with someone who's new and up and coming, right? BPO, how are these, how are we actually bringing them on? And how fast is it? Most people think our employees are fast. It's not always the case. If you have a staffing agency that you have a good relationship with, sometimes they get people in the door that same day or in two weeks versus a little bit longer, right? There may be things that you want to know. Again, if it's skills-based, sometimes having a freelancer do it. If it's consulting-based, maybe it's better to have it through an SOW that you can execute uh, uh, fast. But understanding like for the skills that you're looking for, how is the is the better one? It's not always about employee being the right the right answer. And then do managers understand their option? Do I have a manager who only hires contractors always? Does he know those other options? Maybe, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe he thought it's employee or this. So helping them understand, you know what? I recognize that you kind of have a distributed workforce and how you're getting work done. Are you aware of it? Some of it's just kind of training. They don't have to take you up on it, but let them know there's other alternatives. And then I think about operations, right? A lot of things done with headquarters are done maturely with, with, with automation. And then everywhere else is still manual. So when you understand like how this has happened and how long it takes, is it based on your operations? Is it mature or basic? And last on how is kind of like your talent brand, right? So how is engaging with non-employees employees affecting your overall talent brand? Is it enhancing it or retracting it, right? So you think about like the Google contractor letter. That was a big deal, right? Or when, when people are upset with Coca-Cola, right? It's a big deal of how people want to come and work. And so if you get tagged with you're treating contractors or freelancers better, because we've all seen the articles, right? No matter what type of classification they are, they say contractors. Could be outsourced through whatever, whatever. They say contractors by you, the company. So even if it's the the, con, uh, the staffing supplier, even if it's the subcontracting, even if it's the outsource, whatever, it's you at your company that they're saying. And so making sure that you're aware of how people are brought into you and what suppliers you're working with does matter on what you think about your, your reputation is on Glassdoor. When they're posting on Glassdoor, employee or non-employee, they're saying, I worked at your company and here's how I was treated. So those are the again, quick couple examples, who, what, where, and how. Saad, was that helpful or too much? I think people want to have to re-listen back to that segment because there's a lot that you went down, but I think it's really detailed. I'm not sure if this question comes now or it'll make sense if you, if, after you, go, if you have any more data points you want to go through. Because my question is about you know, data database projects like there's a lot that you can go into. And if you have like a big undertaking, it can, it can take a while and it can be a little demotivating both to the team and then just overall in terms of just how it's being perceived throughout the organization. So I'm thinking like, is there any small wins or thinking about, you know, you want to take people along for the journey rather than, you know, in six months we'll have all this great insights and 
boom, we'll be able to get so much done. Are there any like small initial wins from a data point that you can get to relatively quickly? Or, you know, what, what can be the like, you know, the, the check in of like, we're making progress here, and you can actually see that this is going to lead to something big? Yeah, no, that's a great question. The short answer is you show them the gaps, right? So I mean, typically, you should be able to pull pretty again, if you have systems in place, your books direct, but confusion is good. If you're able to say like, I don't know what any of these fields are for what they do, but we're missing all of that. Again, I get, that's why I go back to say like, what are the questions you're trying to define? Like, what are people doing? If that's hard for you to find out, that is your update. Because as someone in the HR world, procurement world, like, what do you mean you don't know what all the projects at Deloitte are doing? Because I, I, when I think the higher up you get, the more you assume that someone else can give you the answer. The lower you get, you realize that not a lot of people have that answer, right? Or to get that answer, it's a ton of manual work. And so to me, the small wins becomes of we pulled this data, we were asking these questions, and it's not looking good, guys. We can't answer that question. Again, it goes back to like, who are my core workers? How'd they find that out? right? I couldn't get a hold of the suppliers to let them know what was required for your COVID test. I didn't know who was coming back to work. So I think, I think, again, you don't want to ring too many, too many alarms, but kind of that's, that's the point around it. Here's why this is important. Here's why if we're going after some of these total workforce management goals, if I don't have this data, we need to do something about it. Let's have a project. How do we do X, Y, and Z? So that's the first one that I would say is that, and I think a lot of people sometimes try to hide, oh, we don't have this. Don't tell anyone. Do a bunch of manual work. No, call out the manual work. The goal is automation. We have too many damn systems in place today that this should not be hard. Typically what happens is we set up a system for a different purpose at a different time by someone who's no longer the company. It's not a crime. That's not a bad thing. But now it's a, but here's how it's debilitating us in today and today's goal. So let's make these changes. So that's the big one that I would probably do. The second part is that becomes the, and, and Aggie from Advisors has given me this, this quote, and I love it, is you got to have some oh no moments before you have aha moments, right? So the first update is the oh no moment, and then do some more work. And the next moment, the next update is the aha moment. And so therefore this. So here's what we were asking to do. Here's what we want to do, or here's what we can do without anyone's permission, right? But if, you, if you're thoughtful about the questions you're asking that are specific to your company, the oh no moments of we can't answer it is typically enough to say, oh, go do more work. What, what, what are you asking for? What's going on? Got it. That all makes sense. Okay. So after data, I mean, well, I guess not after data. I think the whole process is really about data, but I mean, just to kind of move on to the next step or, or where, where you feel is the important things for people to highlight along on this journey yeah, what do you see as that that next step or what else do they need to be considering for this journey? To those of you who've been longtime listeners, what you guys don't realize is that I have four more buckets of great examples that Saad does not want me to go into because he thinks it'll be too long. So if you want to know what those are, ping me. No, it's Friday afternoon, guys. All right, let's go to the, the next. I would say, again, the getting started on your journey. So we hit the data. So I'm, let, me, let me hit that at a high level again. Like, what's the current state data gaps? Sorry, identify three to five questions you want to answer, right, in total workforce. Call the data, the data gaps, and then think about data map. On the operational processes, if you want to start on that, right, you really want to map out the processes. And two good examples are how do we onboard, update, and offboard workers, right? And that's employees. And it could be all types of employees because, again, we're talking total workforce. So that, doesn't, that does matter, right? So short, long-term, or normal short-term, fixed-term, interns, contractors, freelancers, consultants, 
outsource, however you want to define it, like how do we onboard and offboard them and how do we communicate with them and see what you find, right? Who's doing it? What systems? What's working? Who's responsible for it? Is it local? Is it global? And then you start looking at efficiencies on opportunities on that. So could we do this better? Could we save more money, whether that's time or, or hard cash? Are there compliance or risk opportunities in there? And what's the manager experience? I go back to like with operational processes, usually it's what are you suffering a manager to go through to go through your rules to do this? So how does, how does the end manager, the business have to go through it? And what does the worker do? And when you start to look across those lens, again, there's some natural things that don't get you in trouble with co-employment. There's some natural efficiencies that you're able to find of, we already have this set up for the employees. Why aren't we doing this for the non-employees or vice versa? I've known some programs where the non-employee program was rocking it and the inside was a little bit farther behind for, you know, for different reasons or so. So don't think it only has to be one way in the leverage. Then there's resourcing. Again, I would go back to like how things were automated. A lot of it was done. Everyone was so excited that a tool that was built for them, they said, yay, and they customized it for them. And then they resourced it just for them. So what you end up having is a lot of centers of excellence or like analysts, different system analysts that are covering kind of the same thing. And so identifying the teams and roles, providing support across where these data are and seeing if there's any efficiency opportunities, right? I, I love thinking about like internal kind of mobility for, for people who are, they don't really know what they want to do in their career. If you're, you know, level, low level and TA or HR procurement ops, there's a ton of stuff that you could do by being responsible for all of this right? Whether it's onboarding or questions or systems analysis. And again, usually just people don't have visibility into what other teams are doing. It's usually the same role, different system or, or, or methodology. That's very easily trainable to go across. And so I think that's a really a key point when I think about how to leverage with what you already have today and give people who are junior in talent, like some exciting things to learn something new and go across talent. Most people who are system expertise have one. We're looking for someone in SAP. We're looking for someone in Workday. We're looking for someone in, in this, right? But when you're actually able to enable someone's career to go across all the board, you're now teaching someone to think broadly and to d- develop more in the career. And then again, manager experiences. So I love we had... Um, Greg on from Southwest, and he talked about, you know, he had he had owned all these different teams that each manager, HRBP and finance person had to talk to different TA representatives for employee, intern or contractor. And they're like, I got to re-explain the same thing three different times. And so he said, that's right. From like a manager experience, why don't I combine it into one person, one team? So they're only doing it once. So there's some really cool things on resourcing you can do when you think about total workforce management. And then not the last, the last for today is I go back to like aligning to your goals, right? You total workforce management is not a separate line item. It is part of what you're already going after. You're asking them to broaden their definition of what they're going after. So reviewing your goals and saying, okay, how do they apply to the CW, right? Or the, all the non-employees like do the work for it and say, based on the goals that we have here, are the things that I think that we need to get do, identify those gaps and then draft a rough plan, rough plan of how to include it. Typically speaking, if you have a plan, if you identify a problem, you have a plan to solve it. Most great leaders aren't going to say, nope, I don't want you to do that work. They're going to say, oh, all right, let's talk about the timing of the work. That makes sense. And so, again, I'll hit the four places where I think to get started that you can, right? These are things that you can do at your own direction. Data, operational processes, resourcing, and goal alignment, I think starts you on that path. And that you're able to rally folks to say, that makes sense. I'm on board. Could you include this? That sounds good. Fantastic. I think this, at least for most people listening to this, it's, it's that initial stage anyway of uh, 
proving the business case, rallying the team. There's of course a lot more, but you know, as you said, starting small and getting the business or getting the rest of the team going is going to be that first hurdle. And once you get that, I think everything I don't want to say becomes easier, but at least there's some direction. You'll uncover those business goals that different teams want, and that will kind of drive the ship or the direction. Once you've kind of seeded this idea and begun to build the the case around total workforce and gotten those initial projects going, but with that. Do you see any final words you want to wrap up on, at least for this uh, specific episode on Total Workforce Strategy? Nope. I just say more to come, guys. There are so many things that you can do when you have this visibility towards Total Workforce Management. We didn't get, we did not get into all of them right here, but we can. So another podcast coming where we let's hit some additional topics. Let's get people's ideas and thinking. So I love that we're talking about this. Thank you much, very much, Saad, and have a good weekend. Thank you all. Take care.